0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the tone that has been set now for for the speaking and the telling of a story. Lord, open our hearts and keep us till Jesus comes. In his name we pray, amen. Kind of funny how churches get their names. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the different names of different churches. Some churches are named after a noteworthy practice that they do. Examples, Baptists are named after the literal act of being baptized under the water. Or Methodists are named after following the method of Charles Wesley. kind of interesting. We've spoken quite a bit here uh, the last couple weeks about conflict and authority in churches. Some churches are named after their means of dealing with conflict. They're named after their organizational structure. Presbyterians, that's from the Greek word presbyteros which means the elders. That's how they make decisions, a group of elders. Or Episcopalian, that's also a name that comes from Greek Episcopos, scopos, telescope—you know, see—and Epe means over, overseers. So they're named after the overseers, the bishops. Congregational—that's kind of the North American version of church. We all vote; it's demogra- democratic. Interesting. Others are named after an important founding leader: Lutherans, Wesleyans, Mennonites all named after a founder some are named for geography moravians or the greek orthodox that's actually a compound name there but but a geography to that some get their name from an identity belief or a theology church of god church of christ disciples of christ or even catholic church that's a that's a theology catholic meaning universal the one church You can get a significant hint about the nature of a people by what they choose to call themselves, though sometimes over time these meanings begin to fade. So have you ever wondered how we got our name? And I don't mean Forest Lake Church. I mean Seventh-day Adventist actually ours is another one of those compound names where we're uniting a noteworthy practice name with an identity belief name seventh day defines a practice the keeping of Sabbath and the scheduling of our our worship our weekly worships on the seventh day but Adventist is an identity belief you see Adventist is a thing, and seventh day is a descriptor of a type of Adventist, though in our day there really aren't many Adventists left except for us. Interestingly, we used to be one of the smallest of the Adventist groups, yet now we are far and away the largest Adventist group and the only one that's growing. A clear understanding of mission and purpose is normally the difference between growing across to fill the whole world or just quietly fading away. Yet as time goes by, identity tied to initial purpose tends to fade, or as Lady Galadriel so well put it, in time, history became legend, legend became myth and some things that should not have been forgotten were lost." Today I hope we can fix that. Today we put Advent back in Adventist. And it is, I believe, fitting we do so on this Sabbath for this is the Sabbath closest to the date to which the original Adventists looked in longing 171 years and two days ago. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's back up and come at this again. You can't hang around a group of Seventh-day Adventists for too long without stumbling upon the fact that Adventists believe Jesus is coming again soon so much is this a part of our embedded culture that all one needs to do to connect and get amens from an Adventist crowd is state we all know Jesus is coming soon Amen? amen there you go but why do we believe this is it just a crazy feeling that we all have is it based on world events Are we just being like so many other evangelical and fundamentalist Christians who in this day claim the same thing? We may have strong feelings that Jesus is coming, but it wasn't feelings that put the Advent in Adventists. And the world may be an insane mix of messed up living and apocalyptic scenarios, but it isn't because of these that we say Jesus is coming soon. And this is a very important point I want you to catch. Don't be part of the crowd that sees a sign of the end in every event that happens or else you will most times end up looking foolish and harming your greater cause how many people who saw an imminent sign of the end in the last 100 years were right well I guess they were right in a sense but they weren't dead on were they? I have to take seriously that I am a third-generation pastoral proclaimer of the soon coming of Jesus and my children are sixth generation believers of this message it is hard for me to imagine a current event radical enough to cut completely through my time jaded consciousness it's much easier to claim the nearness of the coming of Jesus based on world events when you're a first generation Adventist because it's all new and fresh The point, it isn't current events that put the advent in Adventist. And while I suppose it's nice that so many evangelicals and fundamentalist believers also believe that Jesus is coming soon, did you know that this is a fairly recent development for them? and a development from what I would consider a rather shaky theology based on what I would suggest is a dubious approach to reading scripture centered around the founding of the modern state of Israel in 1948. This from many of the same people who developed male headship theology, a non-Adventist teaching based on a literalistic approach to the Bible that was totally foreign to our seventh day adventist ancestors in the faith and as as an aside indulge me this somewhat non-sequitur comment it isn't i believe the embracing of the liberal side of evangelicalism that is endangering the future of adventism Rather, it is, I believe, our reckless adoption of their fundamentalist theologies that poses the greatest threat to us. Remember, I've said this before, Adventists are not conservatives. We aren't liberals either, but that's a point for another day. But back to the main point today, putting the Advent in Adventist. Do you know why Seventh-day Adventists say, Jesus is coming again soon. Originally, to be an Adventist was to hold a specific belief based on the interpretation of the prophecy given in Daniel 8. Specifically, Daniel 8, verse 14, King James Version, because that's where we started this. Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. There may be many things that make us feel like Jesus is coming soon, but that isn't what puts the Advent in Adventist. There may be many signs in the world that suggest things just can't last, but that isn't what puts the Advent in Adventist. And there may be many other honest Christians who see the modern state of Israel as a sign of the end. But that isn't what puts the advent in Adventist. Daniel 8 is what puts the advent in Adventist. But I must tell you a story in order for you to understand why. It's a story about a man and a movement that grew from a radical conclusion to which that man came as a result of closely reading his Bible. The man's name was William Miller. And he was a far cry from anyone you might expect would start a religious movement. And so the staff, now thinking they were helping me, got together on this. And, and as you might recall, uh, Pastor Derek used to do sermons in first person where he would dress up and do things like that. Well, that's just really not in my repertory. I'm, I'm sorry for that. But the staff has really pushed on this, and they've come up with the best they can do for me. So this is William Miller, and this is me doing first person. So there you go, that's the best we got. I pretty much nailed the costume though, didn't I? All right, just imagine I look like that while we go on here. Yep, I got to give them more stuff to do each week. William Miller was reasonably pious as a child and a young man being raised by believing parents to the degree that he once penned in his diary as a young man I was early educated and taught to pray the Lord but in his youthful piety Miller failed to meet Jesus and later in reflection on those days he would write this I spent much time in trying to invent some plan whereby I might please God when brought into his immediate presence. Two ways suggested themselves to me which I tried. One was to be very good, to do nothing wrong, tell no lies and obey my parents. But I found my resolutions weak and soon broken. The other was to sacrifice by giving up the most cherished objects I possessed but this also failed me so that I was never settled and happy in mind until I came to Jesus do any of you know this same experience have you been down either of these two roads that William Miller went down if you have you know no both of these roads lead only to traps And you need to understand there's only one way out of the traps, and that is Jesus. And this is something that the life of William Miller proves extremely well. Miller said he never found peace until he found Jesus, and it would be many years after his childhood before he would as a teenager Miller was an avid reader though his family had no books but some of his wealthier neighbors would take sympathy on him and lend him their books which he would devour he had this insatiable appetite to learn and to know and he was living in a most interesting time at a most interesting place let's put William Miller in history Miller was born in the year 1782 one year before the end of the Revolutionary War and seven years before George Washington would become the first president of the United States. And as an overlap to what we talked about last Sabbath, William Miller would be 17 years old in the year 1798. You remember we talked about that last year? The year that Napoleon's general Berthier would remove Pope Pius VI from the Vatican in Rome. He was alive in these days. It was the age of enlightenment and Miller would come to embrace the writings of the enlightenment thinkers like the Frenchman Voltaire, the Scottish philosopher David Hume, the Englishman-turned-American Thomas Paine, and Revolutionary War hero Ethan Allen. All of this was prior to the days of Charles Darwin and his notions of natural selection, the philosophy that would then lead to the emergence of the first true atheists. So it would not be accurate to describe any of these men as atheists, but neither could we describe them as orthodox Christians because they had chosen to promote a cosmic narrative called deism where there was a creator in the beginning. I mean, everything had to get here somehow, but this God was not a personal God who was still involved in his creation. Rather, he was a disinterested God who had created the world and now had moved on to other things, deism it was called. And Miller found that philosophy well suited to his own thinking and to that of many of his social circle where he lived in Pulteney, Vermont, where he had moved from his native New York after marrying Lucy Smith. Miller had read the Bible, but his inability to reconcile and harmonize all of its parts left him unsettled regarding the nature of Scripture. He concluded, the Bible was only the working of designing men and says, therefore, I discarded it accordingly. Miller still believed in a supreme being and some sort of a life after death, but the notion of a God and Savior that was personal was considered foolishness to him. Miller became a prominent man in his community in Vermont. He, he became a Freemason and, and advanced to the highest levels available. He was a Jeffersonian Democrat in the days when Jefferson was president and served his local community as a constable and a sheriff and a justice of the peace, all of which led him to become a lieutenant in the Vermont militia in the days of the War of 1812 and in the course of the war Miller would be promoted to militia captain and then finally to regular army captain he would survive the war uninjured but he would not survive the war unchanged in fact Miller's experiences during the war would serve to undo his deism and set him on a road that ultimately would lead to us in this place today. So what happened that changed Miller? Two things. First, the reality of death that war demonstrates oh so well to anyone who was ever in one. You see, Miller was always a careful and thorough thinker and his thinking had led him to a dead end. You see, the more he thought about it, the more he came to realize that there was no rational way to conclude an afterlife of peace and joy if you start from a deist perspective. And this prospect that death was truly the end was more than Miller could bear, causing Miller to write to his wife in 1814 in the midst of the war. He wrote, but a short time and like Spencer I shall be no more. Spencer was a friend of his killed in the fighting. It is a solemn thought. Yet, could I be sure of one other life? There would be nothing terrific, but to go out like an extinguished taper is insupportable. The thought is doleful. No, rather let me cling to that hope which warrants a never-ending existence, a future spring where troubles shall cease and tears find no conveyance. The hard facts of life were pushing Captain Miller towards the faith he had once so vigorously rejected. But it was more than the longings of his heart that were beating down the deist walls of his mind, there was also something that happened, something so remarkable that Miller could not explain it at chance. But could it be God intervening? Miller's units, as they were, were involved in the Battle of Plattsburgh, a fight with the British Army and Navy on Lake Champlain. The American forces were bow- badly outnumbered and badly outmatched. Yet when the day was over, the Americans had won and the British had retreated to Canada. Miller could find no explanation for the result other than the direct interference of God. But could it be God? These questions would send Miller back to the Bible after the war as well as back to his childhood home in Low Hampton, New York and in the Baptist Church where his uncle had once been pastor Miller would finally meet Jesus. Miller longed for a savior to rescue from sin and assure the promise of eternal life and in his words Miller would write, oh my soul what a savior I discovered Jesus to be. It took some time But eventually Miller came to the conclusion that scripture must be a revelation from God, leading him to state the Bible became my delight and in Jesus I found a friend. So Miller's old associations were not so impressed with his newfound faith and began to challenge Miller with the very same arguments he used to challenge others, which led Miller to determine he would pour himself into the study of Scripture until everything became clear to him. And this he did in a most rigorous and methodical way. Whenever I found anything obscure, my practice was to compare it with all collateral passages. And by the help of Cruden's Concordance, I examined all the texts of Scripture in which were found any of the prominent words contained in any obscure portion. Then, by letting every word have its proper bearing on the subject of the text, if my view of it harmonized with every collateral passage in the Bible, it ceased to be a difficulty." He took this seriously. Miller went to the Bible with a a method to resolve the tensions that he believed he saw, but in the end, his method produced more tension in his life than he ever imagined. After two years of applying his method, In the year 1818, Miller had come to a most troubling conclusion. Now, seriously, imagine this. He had concluded from his study, not that he heard anybody else saying it, he had concluded from his study of the Bible that Jesus was going to come again around the year 1843. He reached his conclusion based on the prophecy of the 2300 evening mornings in Daniel 8 along with the 1335 days mentioned in Daniel 12. But as you can imagine, such a conclusion put forward by a mere farmer was not likely to garner anything more than a few good laughs. And so not wanting to needlessly inflict scorn upon himself, Miller spent the next five years telling no one what he had concluded and seeking in every possible way he could come up with to disprove his own conclusion. Took him two years to find it. He spent five years trying to overthrow it. But all of his efforts were in vain and by 1823, Miller was certain that Jesus would be coming in about 20 years on the one hand his discovery filled him with joy here near at hand was the fulfillment of his greatest hope and the end to death but on the other the thought was beginning to fill him with the pressing burden for the souls of those who knew not that Jesus was coming and who for lack of knowledge would be lost when he came so Miller began after 1823 to tell his interpretation to some of his neighbors and to some of the clergy, but everyone dismissed what he had to say as idle talk. And just an aside, it would have been very difficult for me to have given Miller the time of day had I been one of the clergy he approached. Think about that. It's a sobering piece of self-awareness that makes me realize my need of humble prayer. I'd have listened to him and then I'd have said, have a nice day, William. Miller had hoped a clergyman would embrace his view and take up the burden of spreading the message, thereby freeing Miller from the crushing burden for souls he was feeling. But alas, too many were like me, none would. Miller would resist what he believed was a clear calling from God to go and tell the world of their danger. He resisted another eight years. Two years to find it, five years to convince himself, eight more years resisting. Even though he had a dream where God said to him his efforts would be blessed. And then in 1831, In an attempt to quiet the hounding voice of God in his head, telling him to go tell the world, Miller, in a moment of weakness, promised God he would perform his duty if God would open the way, to which, according to Miller, the Lord replied, What do you mean by open the way? And then, laying a perfect trap for himself, Miller replied, why said I if I should have an invitation to speak publicly in any place I will go and tell them what I find in the Bible about the Lord's coming and in that moment Miller felt his burden lift and not only that Miller felt completely safe because who in their right mind is gonna seek Miller out and ask him to publicly speak about his crazy ideas who indeed for little did he know but the one to call Miller to speak was already on his way to the door even as Miller spoke those words to the Lord it all went down like this about 30 minutes after Miller's discussion with the Lord there came a knock on his door with Miller opening to find a young man with a query from the Dresden church church about 17 miles away you see it seems their minister was away and they were just wondering if maybe this week Miller could come and expound a bit on his recent studies regarding the coming of the Lord be careful making deals with the Lord it's this same kind of thing that caused me to end up being a pastor be careful making deals with the Lord About this incident, Miller would write, I was immediately angry with myself for having made the covenant. I rebelled at once against the Lord and determined not to go. I left the boy without giving him any answer and retired in great distress to a grove nearby. There I struggled with the Lord for about an hour, endeavoring to release myself from the covenant I had made with him, but I could get no relief. It was impressed upon my conscience. Will you make a covenant with God and break it so soon? And the exceeding sinfulness of thus doing overwhelmed me. I finally submitted and promised the Lord that if he would sustain me, I would go, trusting in him to give me grace and ability to perform all he should require of me. It was 1831 twelve years before miller expected jesus to appear and in those twelve years the great second advent movement would ignite and burn with white hot expectation catching up many such as an old sea captain named joseph bates a young clergyman by the name of james white and the Harmon family of portland maine a sizable family with a daughter named Ellen who would one day marry James and then write lots of books maybe you've seen. we won't today have time to go over exactly how Miller chose 1843 and how in time it was modified and specified to a single point of second coming expectation on October 22 1844 that is a challenge we will engage in the weeks ahead but we won't be able to calculate it at all until we've thought about Daniel chapter 9 but that's okay the point today is not to get those details in order rather the point today is to show you why we as Seventh-day Adventists claim that Jesus is coming again soon it's not a feeling it's not based on world events and it's not because everyone else is saying it it is because we are a people who have grown up after the teaching of William Miller regarding the prophecy of Daniel 8:14 unto 2300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed I am very much looking forward to getting into the specifics of Daniel 8 and the misinterpretation that led to what is known as the Great Disappointment. But we obviously don't have time today, so instead I want to redirect our thinking as we close to something I believe is very significant to the story of William Miller. Like many of you, Miller was raised a child of the faith, and like many of you, he struggled and even drifted away for a season. Miller knew quite a bit about the faith. He had an uncle and a grandfather who were clergymen. But Miller had missed the most important part of the faith, the only thing in it that can truly give life and hope and joy. Miller had missed Jesus. You haven't missed Jesus, have you? Sometimes I worry at how quickly we amen that Jesus is coming. And how slowly we amen things about Jesus. There's lots of cool things about being a Seventh-day Adventist. We have a very strong culture. You can make amazing friends. We have ways to eat and things to not drink. And betting odds that we'll live longer than anybody else. We have schools and hospitals and churches that most believers in the world could only dream about. And we got plenty of rules and laws to keep us busy from today until Jesus comes. And that's great, except it's not great if you do all that and never meet Jesus. Can you, like Miller, say, Oh, my soul, what a savior I discovered Jesus to be? If you can't, then why are you going on about him coming again? Advent means the arrival of a notable person thing or event and when we say second advent we mean second coming of Jesus His arrival on the earth for the second time to be an Adventist is to believe that Jesus is coming soon And you might get very carried away by the notion of it all, but if Jesus is not truly your savior and friend Then you will never be truly longing for his coming Instead, for you, the expectation will only be one of either fearful judgment or long-overdue indulgence, depending on whether you know yourself to be a sinner or not. Miller taught, based on Daniel 8, that the Jesus who is our Savior is coming again soon. And those who believed and longed for the coming of the Lord became Adventists and we today are their spiritual sons and daughters. We don't see Daniel 8 the exact same way Miller did, but we do still see it as the basis by which we claim Jesus is coming soon. Miller didn't get everything right in his interpretation, but that's okay. He sure got got it right about Jesus are we getting the part about Jesus right as well? William Miller finally found Jesus or maybe better Jesus finally got through to William Miller and this set Miller on a course that put the Advent in Adventism and went on to change the world. I've taken the time to tell you this story today because I believe our history and our stories matter. They help us know who we are and what we were raised up to do. But if Jesus is not for us Savior and Lord, then the news of His coming is not exactly good news. Daniel eight fourteen may be what puts the advent in Adventist, but it is Jesus who makes this good news. So you see, once again, it all comes back to Jesus, the one who's coming again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for those who have gone before, who have led the way and have given us this great message. But Lord, help us realize it wasn't until after Miller found Jesus as savior and friend that he discovered Jesus was coming again. Help us not to believe Jesus is coming without truly knowing him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.